Well, hello, everyone, and good morning to another edition of a live stream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to get started with some music just to allow people to jump on with us. And given the kind of day it is outside, there will be probably a few people online joining us. Um, I came to magnify the Lord by the Broadview Baptist Choir Chapel Choir. We'll play that today. Amen. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, Brother Roscoe. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Today is one of those days, this is one of those sleepy days, and it's raining outside, you're ready to roll over. <laughs> well, we're not rolling over. We're here. <laughs> Amen. Good morning, Mr. Gaines. How are you? <laughs> probably, probably should say Delia in there too, shouldn't I? Good morning, Delia. We were having weather discussions the other day, and of course, everywhere else, it was in the 40s and 50s, some places in the 30s, and, and where, my, where my dad is, it's 80 degrees. It's just one of those things. For January, that's pretty terrific. Good morning. <laughs> Amen. Very interesting lesson today. Amen. Fifth Sunday, man. Five Sundays in the month. Almost out of January. Can't believe that either. Seems like we just started. <laughs> Amen. Hey, Brother Nate, good morning. Nate and Marnell, good morning. Pacific time zone, not too early, is it? Amen. Thanks for waking up with us today. Ooh. Amen. 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 Okay, it's a long, long ending here. That is the uh, Broadview Baptist Chapel Choir 
That is, I came to magnify the Lord. That is the uh, music for this morning. We thank you again for joining us today. Appreciate you being here. We have um, a couple of announcements. It is the fifth Sunday. We are, it is uh, January the 29th. Good grief. Uh, <laughs> time flies. Um, first of all, just as a, a brief announcement for those of you in Akron, we will be having a service today, and Pastor Gus will be br- br- giving the message. We invite you to stay online on the Akron Alliance Fellowship timeline, uh, where we will have our live church at 11 o'clock here on the on this timeline. And you're welcome to join us if you are not in the Akron area or if you're not able to come to church, we welcome you to join us here. We always want to try to have now a live version, uh, of course, church in, in church and also virtual. So uh, that, that will be available for you later on today at 11 o'clock. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We also always make an appeal to mention that because especially during uh, COVID, during the pandemic, it was uh, pretty important for people to, to keep giving where they could because still we're operating church and still operating all the things that are necessary, including having the benevolent uh, uh, ability to give uh, benevolently for those who would ask. So we appreciate you remembering that as well, too. If you are mailing your tithes or offerings, please do so to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. And we appreciate you doing that, and we're keeping uh, prayerful consideration over your giving. No matter where you worship, no matter where you go, that should always be a matter of prayer. Uh, But that is an important aspect of worship, worship through giving. Okay, and that are those are the announcements. I don't have any others today. I think that it is important to note that um, <clears throat> our church did have scheduled a concert this evening. That concert has been canceled, so uh, there will not be a concert at 5 p.m. today. Uh, just for a heads up for those who uh, were remembering that that was on the schedule, but it has been canceled for today as well, too. All righty, we are ready to get into the Word and get into the study uh, we are in the book of John, and we're continuing our study in the book of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 53. We're going to be covering and continuing uh, the dialogue that was taking place during the last uh, day of day of the uh, festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, the festival. And Jesus is still continuing this conversation and discussion and, of course, he has opposition that he is dealing with, and it is something that, uh, you know, it, it, it is important for us to see this conflict and this discussion. Because I've always wondered, why, why is John always giving us information about the fights that Jesus is having? When I, when I say fights, I don't mean fist fights. I mean the, the conversations that he's having where there's, there's an argument or, or contentious discussion taking place against Jesus. And I think it's really to show all of us and, and show us the nature of man. We are, are, are genuinely evil in many, many ways. I, I'm reminded of the, my wife and I are going through a study together. We've been, we're following the uh, two-year Bible plan, but we're reading at the same time in Genesis. And we're reading in Genesis, we're looking at Abraham, and we're looking at Sarah, and we're looking at... Uh, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah and and uh, Rachel, thank you. And they were sinners just like we're sinners. They were acting up just like even though 
God still used them uh, to, you know, basically fulfill Abraham's covenant and say that he would be, uh, there would be many stars. You couldn't count the number of stars or uh, grains of sand, the number of people that would follow through. But they were, they sinned quite, they sinned quite often, and it's recorded in Scripture. Our hearts, we, we always revert to the flesh when it comes to matters. If things don't go the way we think they should go or we don't understand it, we will revert to fleshly manners. And I think that we need to see this when we look at the conflict that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. They were strictly thinking of matters of the flesh, and that's what they were doing the entire time uh, when they were having this communication with Jesus. They, they saw the miracles. They saw that people were getting more and more ingrained in following Jesus and they didn't like that and they were threatened by it and so they it was important for them or incumbent upon them to really just give Jesus a hard time if not just get rid of him altogether because that's what was happening Jesus was not hanging around um, because he knew that there were religious leaders that wanted to kill him so but, of course, as we have been saying the entire time, that Jesus, uh, his time had not yet come. And we're going to see that again referenced today in the scripture. So let's get into John chapter 7, verses 37 through 53. We've got um, a, a passage to read here that it's a New Living Translation, but this will get us more into the themes for today. And the themes are specifically looking at how Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the life-giving water. And that's what he is going to say. And, and this is also going to be discussed. We'll look at some references to that as well, too. And how he tells people to come and drink. And he also is going to just keep making great testimonies that are even going to bewilder the, the, the ones who were supposed to take him into captivity. So this is what Jesus does. His words are very powerful, but... At the end of the day, he calls for us to uh, partake of him and drink and believe that he is the Messiah. Amen. Believe that he is Lord and Savior. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to look at your word and study your word. And Lord, we just ask now that you speak to us through the power of the Spirit. We thank you for the group here today who's made it in for Sunday school. And we thank you for those online, Lord, that truly desire to want to hear you speak right now. Not anything special that I have to say, but the, through the power of the Spirit, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, what you continue to do to enrich us and teach us. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 37 through 53. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 53. And, of course, this is the continuing conversation of the conflict with the leaders, the religious leaders. And we're just going to see that things are moving along rather quickly um, uh, when it comes to the life of Jesus. I think we've, we've covered like a six-month interval, if I'm not mistaken, from the time when Jesus fed everyone, fed the 5,000 plus, to where we are right now at this point in time. But we're getting closer and closer to the time when we know that we're leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. But until that time comes, we're going to be reminded in Scripture that the time had not yet come. So we'll see that in, in Scripture as well, too. So let's look at John chapter 7, starting at verse 37. 
Uh, please follow along in your Bibles. This is the New Living Translation. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Verse 39. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Verse 41, others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, We have never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded, Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? Verse 49, This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law, God's curse is on them. Verse 50, Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Verse 53, Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. And that's where we're ending. That's the end of John chapter 7. Uh, and we'll discuss that last verse uh, because we know that there are some Bibles or some that do not carry um, that verse as well as the first few verses in John chapter 8. But we'll cover that next week because that's going to take us off topic here today if we do that today. So let's go back and look at the passage again starting at John chapter 7 verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, one thing we want to see here and understand about this drinking <laughs> that's taking place, uh, we know that Jesus has made this declaration of being the living water, and he has said that many, pa uh, many passages, many Prophetic passages refer to this coming Messiah as one of living water. Where do we get that from? Well, there's going to be four, three passages we're going to look at right now. Turn your Bible's electronic devices to Isaiah chapter 12. Let's start with there. Let's start there. And all of these are going to be in Isaiah. And of course, Isaiah we know was heavily uh, speaking prophetically. Um, he was inspired. Uh, to speak prophetically about who who this Messiah was, who this person would be. And so he is going to have these references given to him that are articulated to him through the Spirit. Isaiah 12, verses 2 and 3. And I love this. I love what Isaiah does. It's, it's, like, it's like he's 
speaking as if it's the future. I mean, if you really look at this very carefully, because look at the words and the choice of words that Isaiah uses here. Indeed, in verse 2, Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust Him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord Himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And of course, salvation, we know that there is none other that can give salvation other than Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. That's that verse, verse 3. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. Very important for us to see this. Um, And let's continue. Flip over now to Isaiah 44. I know it's worth pondering that passage, isn't it? Isaiah 44 now is next. Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3. Isaiah chapter 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Go back and look at what John 7.39 says. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. But what a beautiful connection that is. I mean, he is just, he's writing as if he's writing specifically about who Jesus is in that time. And you have to understand, Isaiah, this was many, many years well before uh, Jesus would ever uh, show up. And yet here he is writing these words. And now we have Isaiah, go to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, verse 11. And I love how, you know, we're talking about rivers. Rivers that are flowing from Jesus, as if it's plural. It's just one of those things where when when you have... A huge gush of water, there is a cleansing effect. Amen? There's a cleansing effect as to what's taking place. It's not just a little stream, it's an actual gushing of water that's being referred to. In Isaiah 58, verse 11, it says, The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden, and like a spring whose water never runs dry. But notice what the opposite is. You see, it always says, uh, Parched land. What, what, what happens to a parched land when there's no water? Well, the, the, the soil will eventually crack and break. It, there's just no moisture in it whatsoever. There's nothing that you can grow with that. You'd have to, even if you tilled it, you have to have water at some point in order for something to grow. But now we're talking about an abundance of water, abundance of life, because the water, as it says in verse 11 here, a spring whose water never runs dry. Every time we call on Jesus Christ, we know that He's always there and present for us. And He provides this stream that never runs dry. And we rely upon Him. We trust in Him. 
We go to Him when we need forgiveness. Amen. When we need, when we need prayer, we run to Him, frankly, because we know that we need Him to help make things better for us. He gives us this inner joy that we experience, even when we indeed may be going through struggles or difficulty. He's the one that provides us this inner joy. And we have to understand what that joy is. Joy is uh, it's much deeper than just saying, I'm happy. You're, you are content in Jesus when he responds to you and listens to you. Jesus was claiming in these words in John chapter 7, 37 and 38 that he was the Messiah. He was making that declaration. He was letting people know who he was and that he was claiming to be the Messiah and that the Holy Spirit was going to come. Uh, that wasn't articulated specifically there, but that is for our reading. That's why it's in brackets. He was saying it and he wants us to understand that's what he meant when this was put forth and that only the Messiah can do this. Only Jesus can do these things. And so that's what we have to look at, and, and that's our takeaway here. Back in John chapter 4, verse 10, take a, let's flip back to that real quick. John chapter 4, verse 10, he makes a mention uh, about indicating the living water and eternal life. And who is he speaking to? The Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And living is a great adjective to use. Living water. We want to recognize that as well too. Living water. When I think of living water, I think of the purest water. I think of the cleanliness. I think of uh, water. It wouldn't be like the Cuyahoga River back in the day, amen? It would be, that's not living water. That was anything. It was poisonous uh, for the most part. But when I think of living water, I think about what Jesus is doing for us as he cleanses us in the purest sense. We're talking about uh, Jesus who is without sin and making the representation of giving us a cleansing, the cleansing effect of salvation. And because of our relationship with him, he cleanses us. The sins that we committed in the past, in the present, and in the future are all going to be reconciled through Him because of His cleansing effect, because of what He has done. And so we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is referenced as well too. And these both go together. When we're talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is teaching, teaching about the Holy Spirit and we'll get further ahead in, in chapters 14 through 16 about the Holy Spirit uh, as he continues to give information to the apostles. Um, and of course, the Holy Spirit was the one who came uh, uh, into effect in, we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And, but Jesus had to leave for that Spirit to come. And that's what he had spoken of, and that's what he in that fact did. So, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, how important, how important is the Holy Spirit today? The Holy Spirit is what nudged each and every one of us who's a believer to say, I believe. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit did for us. The Spirit had to speak to us. The Spirit had to give us the encouragement to step out and say, you know what? I need to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When we were living younger, a younger life, there had to have been a reckoning somewhere in there where the Spirit told us we need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. 
The Spirit was the one to speak to us about that. So we have to recognize that. Now let's go back real quick where it says in verse 38. I want to cover this too. Um, anyone who believes in me, anyone who is thirsty may come to me, and then anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Now the passage in, um, in, in I guess in the King James Version, it, it refers to if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. If any man so any man, it means who? Everyone. Everyone. Now we know there are going to be passages where uh, in Matthew you read about how he sends out the disciples to go and visit the, the towns in, in the Jew, Jewish towns in Judea. But here he's making the declaration that any man, and of course when he had the conversation with the Samaritan woman, that was not, she wasn't Jewish. So we're saying that the reference is being made that any man means you. <laughs> you and me. Uh, God is offering a gift to us. It's a gift. And if any man thirsts, are you thirsty? Amen? Were you thirsty? Were you, we, we use it sometimes the adjectives thirsty for knowledge, thirsty for understanding. We thirst for, you know, you thirst. And, and how necessary is water in the world today? Without water, what would happen? You would die. Water is a necessity. Our bodies are made up of 90, is it 95% water? I think it was a 95, it's either 95 or more. I forget what it is, but we're made up of water. We have to have water. One of the, the great things we have to really be caught conscious of is that, especially as we get older, that we don't get dehydrated. What happens when we get dehydrated? We, we have problems. We get sick. There are things that we have to make sure that we stay hydrated. And uh, I'm not trying to sound like one of those commercials. Well, you have to stay hydrated and drink eight ounces, eight gla ounces of water uh, every sitting you have. You know, you know that's, that's some kind of life. You're just going to the bathroom every five minutes, really, is when you see doing that. But, but we have to stay hydrated. Amen? I mean, that's what's in, it's important for our health to do that. So... It's a necessity. Our body requires it. We must have that. But when you're thirsty, are you going to go to places in the world to satisfy your thirst? Or are you going to recognize Jesus Christ and recognize that He is the one that is indeed the one who is satisfying? Um, that's important for us to recognize too. He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's what we have to recognize here. Living water. Jesus is making this declaration. Okay. So, I think we've covered enough of that part of it. Let's move on to the rest of the dialogue. Go back to John chapter 7, verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, because this is quite a statement to make, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? So what we're seeing is that there are people right then and there who believe that Jesus is the Messiah based upon those words that he just spoke about. Now, perhaps they hadn't been able to make that declaration publicly, but now they were ready to do so. You better believe the Pharisees were listening too. 
Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. And some people believed. Some people, though, as we know, were hostile about it. He can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? And they tried to discredit or disqualify him. The Pharisees were just trying to, in their dialogue with Jesus, tried to discredit or disqualify Jesus as being the Messiah because if the Pharisees let it get out of control, that everybody was going to say that this was the Messiah, guess what? It's game over for the Pharisees. They were losing their authority and they were losing their power and they did not want that to take place. So, of course, they were going to do everything they could to discredit Jesus even without any evidence to do so. But let's take a look at what it says here just to make sure that we're understanding. Verse 42, For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Now, I think we covered this last week too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, We noted that Uh, In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he was from Nazareth, not Bethlehem, but he was born in Bethlehem. Um, And let's go to Luke chapter 2, just for clarification. Luke chapter 2. Because there is a synoptic uh, value to looking at other uh, books within the, the Gospels as well, too. Not everything is covered in every Gospel, but most things are covered. Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7. Let me get, get there myself. Luke 2. Decided to read from this version. Christian Standard Bible Version. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's go through that very quickly. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The time came. I just, I I know we've read this many times, I'm sure, but the time came. God is all about perfect timing. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. But do you see how God had it appointed that Jesus would indeed be born in Bethlehem just as the prophets had spoken. But none of those people who were saying anything against Jesus took the time to go back and look at where he came from. If they had done that, they would have seen. Yes, he originally was in Nazareth, came to Bethlehem when he was born. And that's what we have to recognize here. And here's the thing, too. You know, I don't know what language Jesus was, you know, if he had an accent when, in when he was speaking, a Galilean accent. Maybe he had that, and that's probably why they kept referring to Galilee the way they did. And that might be what was going on. That's why they were making those statements. 
But they weren't trying to really find or find out where Jesus had come from. Because if they had tried to find out where he had come from, they might have been really disappointed. <laughs> they might have been really surprised in a very negative way. Um, so we have to see what that is, what that's all about. We recognize that they jumped to some conclusions because they were trying to discredit Jesus. That's all. That was the only motivation behind it. Um, here's the thing: when you're searching and looking for for the truth from God, for God's truth, make sure that you're doing so by looking at the scriptures that we read with an open heart and an open mind. If you really want to learn, if you really want to be taught, you have to approach Scripture every time you sit down and do so with an open heart and open mind. In other words, we talk about reading from the Bible plan and and following the Bible plan. We don't want you to do so because it's a duty. We want you to do so because it's something you really want to do. And I think that when you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to really speak to you when you have that approach. And... You understand the Pharisees were were showing us everything not to do, right? They jump to conclusions. They make assumptions. And many people sometimes will try to deliberately take Scripture out of context for their own personal benefit. So we have to recognize that that also happens as well, too. You don't like to say that, but it happens way too often in a lot of churches. And uh, present company excluded. I always want to say that because it's not our church that does that. We follow Scripture and we follow it to the letter and we follow it and we are obedient to it. So we don't ever want to come to jumping to conclusions about what Scripture is saying. We want to read into it and also take everything that we see in context. Okay. Let us continue. Oh, yeah, let's continue. So let's go So the, uh, back to verse 43 in John chapter 7. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested. But no one laid a hand on him. Of course not. Because his time hadn't come yet. Amazing how that works. His time had not come yet. Verse 45. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests... And Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? That's a valid question. How come? And then verse 46, we had never, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. The words that Jesus spoke were so powerful that even those who weren't actually following him were being convinced about who he was. What a testimony. And of course, who's the great teacher? Jesus is. He teaches us through his word. His word gives us instruction. And he essentially gives us this information on what we need to do to be saved. He tells us. He's the greatest teacher. I mean, I would, I'm not even going to come near saying that I'm such a great teacher because I'm not. I'm a student just like you. I'm learning from the teacher, Jesus Christ. And he's teaching me all the time. And he continues to teach all of us all the time. And he teaches us about his goodness. He teaches us about his presence. He teaches us about how he indeed is always present with us. 
never leaves us, never forsakes us, and that He saves us. And as we'll see later on here, it's His death and resurrection that paved the way for us to have this fellowship with God Himself. Because He is dying for our sins. And of course, these Jewish leaders that were being referred to here, they were the ones that had the temple guards and they had power to arrest anyone who was causing a disturbance or breaking any of their ceremonial laws. And that's what was happening. So they were trying to find a reason to to get Jesus arrested. But the temple guards couldn't find a reason to arrest him because they were listening to him. They were hearing his testimony. They were hearing what he had to say. And as they listened to Jesus to try to find evidence, they couldn't help hearing the wonderful words he was using. Who wouldn't want to be encouraged by the fact about having living water? Come to me and I will give you living water. And if you believe in me, words, living water is going to flow from the heart because you believe in Jesus. So yeah, these, these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders were saying, them, saying to themselves um, that they alone had the truth. Nobody else did. That's what was happening here. They saw that people were turning against them they were following Jesus and ignoring them. So they were trying to blame everyone of saying that, well, you're not, you're not following the law. You're breaking the law then. What law? Couldn't really say. But they just made the declaration. You're breaking the law. Let's read further in the passage. Let's go back to verse 46 again. We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Listen to verse, look at verse 47. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? Now remember that verse because we're going to go down and see Nicodemus in about a moment here. But we're looking at this is that you don't... Who, who are these people who are believing in this Jesus? That's what they're trying to understand. They see they're losing control, so it's getting desperate. They're getting desperate. There's desperation in their communication. They want to resist the truth about Jesus Christ because it wasn't their truth to begin with. They did not want to follow Jesus. By acquiescing and allowing Jesus to be their leader, guess what they were doing? They were putting aside their leadership. So they were fighting tooth and nail and rather than make an argument that, well, why are you following this Jesus? He, he's, not, he's not following any laws that we have in place. You have to understand something. Religion sometimes get caught, gets caught up in laws and rules and regulations. But following Jesus has nothing to do with that. Following Jesus is about a relationship with Jesus. I was sitting in uh, Barnes & Noble yesterday at the cafe. Typically, my bride and I go to Barnes & Noble because that's a 
It's a cool place to go, just to sit and relax and reflect and even look at Scripture. I overheard a conversation from a couple. They were like over the rail talking. And they indeed were having, I thought, a really good conversation. But then they they entered into the conversation about religion and they talked about uh, Scientology. And, and of course, uh, Scientology... uh, is by all accounts a cult. I mean, it's a, it's a cult. It's a following. That's what it is. There may be some people online who might disagree with me, but um, I'll take my chances on that because we know there's enough out there that says that Scientology has some serious problems. And they agreed with that. And, of course, the conversation was interestingly being held by the gentleman uh, who was acknowledged as an atheist. He acknowledged himself as an atheist. And... So he was recognizing what it really was. It was a cult, right? Because it was a bunch of rules and regulations. But following Jesus has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Following Jesus is not a religion. It's a relationship. That's the distinction that we always should be making when we're having conversation with people about, well, you're one of those religious fanatics. And I'll say, no, I'm not really a religious fanatic at all. I'm a fanatic for Jesus Christ who has nothing to do with religion. He has to do with relationship. And that's what we need to understand. And these religious leaders were losing control because they were not, they were self-centered. They had a narrow attitude. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was Lord or the Messiah. That's the position they were going to take and they were going to stand by it. And they were going to keep doing it. And look what it says back in John chapter 7, verse 49. This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Well, ignorant of what law? It's not mentioned, is it? There's no reference to a law that they are breaking. And we have to recognize that they really were just trying to tell people they were being foolish, but they weren't really telling them why they were being foolish. When you're losing control, you just do whatever you can. You get desperate. You just start saying things. And understand something. Have, have believers not faced some sort of ridicule because we believe in someone that requires faith? Of course we have. We've been ridiculed too. We've been told, boy, you guys are crazy. You're believing in Jesus. And I say, yeah, that's right. God gives us the faith to believe in Him. That's what the Spirit does. Spirit gives us the faith to believe. So now let's talk about Nicodemus, verse 50. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. Now, understand something about Nicodemus. Apparently, maybe it was around this time, and because I have more than one commentary that says this, Nicodemus believes in Jesus at this point. Somewhere in this point, in this dialogue, somewhere in this discussion. He's obviously seeing the impact that Jesus is having, his words are having an impact on everyone around him. 
he sees people are responding to him, recognizing him as the Messiah. And it says, according to um, comment here, Nicodemus had become a secret believer. And this is one Pharisee, of course, who he was risking his reputation. He saw that these other Pharisees had hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. But Nicodemus was stepping out, risking his high position. But he only spoke up indirectly for Jesus. But that's okay. The Pharisees were reading between the lines. Anyone who had the nerve to even speak up for Jesus was going to be chastised. Even if it was true what he was saying. Nicodemus said, Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. The answer, of course, is not legal. Tell them the truth. So, and of course we remember that it was a bold statement. And verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Galilee, Galilee was being used as an insult, everybody. The whole idea of Nazareth and Galilee, what, what good comes from Nazareth? It was the conversation, right? I don't know what Nazareth is if you compare it to cities that we have today, but I better not mention any names. Somebody might get offended or something if I do that. So let's just say that it's not very, <laughs> it's not a very gracious, a great place uh, of high regard to come from. So Galilee, the use of the word Galilee was being thrown around as an insult here, as a demeaning statement, because they kept associating Jesus with Galilee. And they basically insulted Nicodemus. Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Okay, well, I, you know, at this point, you can tell that the Pharisees were desperate. They were using insults. But he hadn't come out of Galilee. He hadn't come out of Bethlehem but they weren't going to take the time to find out where he came from. Because when they find out that yeah, he started in Nazareth but was born in Bethlehem, that was a problem for the Pharisees. But they weren't going to take the time to find out. It's like you know what's going to happen if you look. Have you ever had a situation where you're afraid to go and do something because you know what's going to happen if you go and look at it and say, oh, yeah, you know. And some of us were hard-headed and our parents told us to do, you know, this is how it's going to be when you live a certain way or you do certain things and later on you'll come back later on and say, you know what, mom and dad, you were right. I was a dope. I didn't get it right. You have to sometimes find out for yourself. And that's what we have to recognize here. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. I didn't count on the fact that all these passages were going to be in Isaiah, but they, it just worked out that way. And that's okay, because Isaiah is a very good book to look at when it comes to prophetic scripture. And of course, we know that when Jesus came, 
And he was born in Bethlehem. Verse 6, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That is from verse 6 of Isaiah 9. Let's go ahead and read verse 7 too. The dominion will be vast and his pros- its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David. Remember what the lineage is? And over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. What does it say? The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this because his time had come to accomplish this very thing. Do you think Isaiah knew what he was writing when he was writing that? Do you think Isaiah had any idea what he was writing? He knew that someone was coming that was going to be magnificent, that was going to be fantastic, wonderful. Fantastic, Brother Jim. And yet here we are. In his time, he came. So we have in verse 53, then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. Everyone went to his own house. Everyone went away. Because the feast was over. It was, it was all done. Jesus went out, as far as we know, to the Mount of Olives. He didn't go home. He didn't go back to his own house. We'll get to that when we cover chapter 8 next time. So, have you accepted Jesus' wonderful invitation? Recognizing where he comes from and who he is. God gives everyone the ability to have faith. But we now have to decide where we put that faith. Do we put our faith in ourselves? Well, that's essentially being an atheist because we don't believe in God. Or do we put our faith in our Creator? In what we have, where we've been, where we've come from, God's goodness. It doesn't matter what other people say about Jesus. What do you say about him? What are your words for who Jesus is? Do you listen to the crowd and just believe what they say? Or do you listen to what your heart says about who Jesus is? Are you going to be swayed because someone says something that's against Jesus? Or are you going to believe in who Jesus is because of what he's done for us? Because he's our living water. Because the Spirit gave us this information to believe in him. We were created to worship something or someone. We have to choose to worship Jesus Christ. And basically, we have to choose Jesus Christ over worshiping who? Ourselves. When we're in sin, we worship ourselves. We do what pleases us. But when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that, but far for the grace of God, we go with Him. He's the one who cleanses us. He's the one who washes us. 
He's the one who gives us eternal life. As it says in John chapter 4, verse 10. May we always live in such a manner where we're honoring Jesus in our words and actions. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching. And Lord, thank you even for showing us the conflict that is coming up with the Pharisees. We see, Lord, that those who oppose us often will try to point to things that are really meaningless in the long run. But you're the one that we need to put our hearts and minds and thoughts into and continue to believe and trust in you. Lord, when you say by your word that we are saved and that we have eternal life, Lord, we believe you. And we thank you. And we give you praise for that. And Lord, as we pray right now, we want to remember those in our families, our friends, the people that we come in contact with who do not know you personally. We pray, Lord, that you save them one by one, touch them one by one, give them what they need to make a decision for you one by one. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for the impact of your teaching. You are indeed a great teacher. And Lord, may we rely upon the living word that is untarnished and unblemished to believe in you and trust in you. And we thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Uh, Please stay online in our timeline, and church will be back on at 11 o'clock today. God bless you all, and take care of yourselves. For those of you in Akron, we hope to see you here shortly. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.